This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.35 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Keith Kam. According to a report from Goldman Sachs, the global market for weight loss medications could hit $100 billion U.S. dollars in sales by 2030, with pharmaceutical companies like Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk being the front runners. As of early 2023, the global market hit $6 billion U.S. dollars on an annualized basis. This is mainly fueled by recent clinical trial results showing that the medication not only reduces weight, but also reduces the risk of heart attacks and strokes. The class of drugs, which are called glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1, stimulate key receptors in the gastrointestinal tract and brain to promote insulin synthesis and reduce the feeling of hunger. As anti-obesity drugs continue to generate hype, what does this mean for the pharma industry moving forward? For some insights on this, we speak to Michael Shah, Senior Equity Research Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Michael, good morning. Thanks for joining us. So these drugs aren't cheap. They have a, some of them have a hefty price of an average 1000 US dollars a month. What led to the boom in anti-obesity drugs in 2023 in spite of that? Really what's happened is um you know these new drugs I mean started off with Wagovi that's Novo Nordisk GLP-1. Um so that's kind of really raised the efficacy bar in terms of um in terms of weight weight loss. So, I mean, prior to Wagovi, the drugs on market, so things like Succenda, um, et cetera, were showing, you know, sub 10% weight loss. Obesity as a whole, um, you know, was largely regarded as a lifestyle disorder. And then you had Wagovi and then Lily's um, Zetbound come along and they significantly raised the efficacy bar. So they've narrowed that gap versus bariatric surgery, um, which is associated with 25% plus weight loss. Um, and is obviously um, in, in invasive. So when we look at the clinical data for Wagovi and Zetbound, you know, those drugs are showing 15 to 20% weight loss. So that's clinically meaningful on kind of improving outcomes. And then we also saw data from Novo Nordisk select outcomes um, trial. So this was a 17,500 patient trial, um, and it basically showed that Wagovi cut major adverse cardiovascular events, um, you know, by, by 20%. Um, so all of that has, you know, led to a lot of excitement, you know, around the space and then against the backdrop of, you know, how uh, the number of people suffering from obesity, the economic impact that it has, you know, you know both in terms of indirect and direct costs um, and, you know, the rising prevalence of the disease. And that's kind of all led to, you know, the boom that we kind of saw in, in 22, 23. You've written that global obesity sales could top $80 billion by 2030, dominated by Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. What assumptions led to such forecasted sales? Yeah, so I mean, there's numerous assumptions that go into it. I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, highlight the main ones. So, I mean, essentially, we've only modelled out drugs that have reported phase two data um, or, or more. Um, and then in terms of what's played into us, our assumptions. So, you know, we've assessed the clinical profiles of the drug. Um, we've had, you know, feedback from prescribers and, and companies on, on use of those drugs. We also track prescription data um, to see how, you know, drugs, are, um, how uptakes of, of drugs are, are kind of tracking. Um, so we kind of use Wagovi as a benchmark kind of for future launches. Um, we've also assumed rising disease pre prevalence um, and then price pressure um, kind of going forward as well. One of the key swing factors in the model is, you know, patient stay time. So how long do um, patients um, stay on drug? 
you know, that's something that's, you know, up for the debate at the moment. Um, the clinical data would suggest these medicines are, are chronic medications, um, given that, you know, as soon as you come off them, you start regaining your weight. Um, but at the moment in our model, what we've assumed is about a 30 to 40 week stay time um, for the high efficacy treatments. And, and that's kind of based on, you know, our, our conversation with prescribers. And then, so I mean, those are the factors that are, you know, determining, you know, what penetration rate we we kind of assign to each drug. So the clinical profiles, you know, how that obviously has an impact on, you know, what these drugs can price at. But I mean, in general, when we look at, you know, the model going through 2030, um, you know, that $80 billion is based on about 11 to 12% of the US um, target patients being on a GLP-1 and about 6% in Europe. And that compares to a low single digit kind of penetration rate today. So with such a large potential, do you expect other drug makers to start shopping around for m and targets to enter this lucrative anti-obesity drugs market? And who could be the targets then? Yes. So, I mean, we've already seen deals by you know, AstraZeneca and Roche, which basically provide tickets into the obesity space. You know, Lilly acquired Vasanis um, to add a new mechanism. So that was an anti-myostatin mechanism to its obesity pipeline. Uh, you know, given the size of the opportunity, I would imagine it's an area of review for most of the large drug makers. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if we, if we um, you know, saw deals in that in the space. Um, you know, some of the um, some of the things that might appeal would be, you know, oral therapies, you know, differentiated mechanisms of actions. Uh, you know, would also appeal, um, especially given the, you know, some of the capacity constraints that we're seeing uh, on GLP-1. And we actually did an M&A survey recently um, focused on kind of what Pfizer and Merck um, could potentially buy and, and Viking um, Therapeutics and Zealand Pharma. Um, so these are both obesity and Nash plays um, were, were kind of among the um, top acquisition picks based on that survey. What are the potential headwinds that manufacturers could be facing, including the big ones like Novo and Eli Lilly? So, I mean, capacity constraints is the main is the main one at the moment. So it takes around four years to expand capacity. Most of the excess capacity out there at the moment has already been taken up by Novo and Lilly. So that's kind of you know one of the um, one of the challenges that you know someone targeting the injectable market could face. Pricing headwinds is going to be you know in, inevitable you know, as more drugs come to market. So. Yeah, I mean, price will likely have to come down um, over time. And I imagine we'll see something very similar uh, to what we saw for the GLP-1 class in, in, in diabetes, you know, where the, where the discounts on the list prices, you know, are already between uh, 70 to 80 percent. Uh, and then the, um, the final challenge, you know, that drug makers are, are going to face is, you know, access to these products particularly in the US, are so getting these products on formulary. Um, but I think those hurdles should, should kind of abate as, you know, as we see more outcomes data. And, you know, I think the, the benefits of these drugs, um, you know, aren't just, you know, aren't just solely weight loss, right? Um, they've got, kind of got broader reaching benefits as well. Um, and that's something that hopefully will uh, will appeal to pairs and drive uh, or drive and improve access. So in terms of market share, will Novo and Eli Lilly maintain their market share or could a drug that is still under clinical trials by another manufacturer be a serious contender as there are apparently up to 70 companies pursuing weight loss treatments? Yeah, so I mean, there's 70 companies, um, you know, pursuing weight loss treatments. Um, you know, by our count, there's, you know, close to 100 molecules uh, in development at, at the moment. Um, but I mean, our view is, you know, Nova and Lilly are going to maintain the dominant players in the market, um, especially given those capacity 
uh, constraints that we alluded to earlier. Um, but you know, given the size of the opportunity, you know, we see room for other drug makers to enter. Um, new entrants not, aren't necessarily going to, you know, have to continue to raise the efficacy bar in terms of in terms of weight loss. You know, they can show, say, fifteen percent, you know, Wagovi-like efficacy, um, and maybe come in and compete on price. Um, we see it as being, you know, high elastic market. Um, you know, orals could play a key role in the space um, as well, given the capacity constraints that we've seen for. In- on injectables, you know, and I touched on it earlier. Um, so showing benefits on on comorbidities, um, you know, could help differentiation. Given that, you know, we don't think that there's going to be like this one size fits all approach to to prescribing. Um, and then just finally, you know, if a drug, if a company has a new mechanism, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the focus at the moment is on GLP one. So when we look at the the pipeline, I would say GLP one is either is either used, you know, alone or in combination in, you know, at least half of the molecules in development at the moment. So if you have a, a new mechanism, you know, that's another way to compete in this market. So Amlin, for example, that's a non-increditing based approach, um, which kind of works by increasing society and, and energy expenditure and delaying gastric emptying. Uh, and that's a molecule that Zealand Pharma has. You know, so they're targeting 15% weight loss. Um, the differentiation is the fact that it's, uh, you know, a non-incredible um, approach it could have better tolerability than GLP-1, and it could also, you know, be associated with better quality of of weight loss than GLP-1. Uh, that's something that's in the early stages of development at the moment. Uh, and then we've also got this anti-myostatin um, drugs, um, which are in, in development at the moment as well. Uh, needs to a bit of bit more digging on this mechanism, but this is a mechanism that's being pursued by Lilly, um, Regeneron, and and Scholar Rock. And the idea here is, you know, to drive weight loss, but you know, preserve lean muscle mass at the same time, uh, which has been a topic that's been up for debate with GLP-1 at the moment. Michael, thanks very much for speaking with us. That was Michael Shah, Senior Equity Research Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, giving us uh, an outlook of what's going to happen with weight loss drugs Mm. in the market, how it's affecting business. I think there's a lot of upside to this, I suppose. For sure, because we've seen the pharmaceutical industry jump in terms of valuations, right? So if you look at the earnings, price earnings ratios of Eli Lilly is close to 75 times. Nova Nordstick is currently almost 50 times, so much so that Nova Nordstick has become one of the most, well, actually, the most expert, well, the largest company in Europe beating LVMH. So that really tells you how much the investment community is expecting from weight loss drugs. But guys, I, I mean, I kind of think that there is a cautionary tale here to, to to take note of as well. I mean, as popular as as it is, and it is a fad to some extent, drugs are still drugs. You you do develop a kind of dependence on them uh, that, you know, once you maybe reach a certain level of, of dependence, you are just hooked. Which is why you must always get doctor's prescriptions for these drugs. They are, they, they are not like paracetamol or vitamin C. You shouldn't you just, be getting them over the counter, yeah, right? Or running to the pharmacy and picking it up. It's a different kind of drug, classification of drug completely. All right, 7.47 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages. And when we come back, we are going to be discussing much-needed reforms in the migrant worker system. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.